And we are now starting the quest to visit the top 25 golf courses in the United States and the top 10 in the world, because that, Jeremy, is my husband's passion. And does he feel like you owe him? Is there a, a little, little bit, bit. <laughs> a little bit of like, you you owe me here? After well, COVID Valley, him. maybe even a little bit more. <laughs> oh my God, he's hacking through the back country, getting attacked by mosquitoes, thinking about the golf courses he's going to go to. I... Hi everyone, I'm Stephanie. And I'm Jeremy. And we are the authors of Where Should We Camp Next? And Where Should We Camp Next? National Parks. This season, we are back with a brand new RV and brand new adventures. Join us now as we cover the best campgrounds, the best rigs, the best food, and the best gear to bring with you when you go. So pull up a chair and join us around the digital campfire. This is the RV Atlas. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the RV Atlas. Today, I'm welcoming back on the show longtime contributor Shelly Bailey Shaw from Kid Tripster. Now, Shelly was on the show a few months ago to talk about her top underrated national parks, and I will link to that episode in the show notes. Today, she's back with another great National Parks episode. And this entire season of the RV Atlas podcast, I've been trying to do as many National Park-themed episodes as possible to celebrate the release of our book, Where Should We Camp Next? National Parks. And today is part of that series. And today, we're going to do two different things, really, with Shelley. The topic of the podcast is 13 National Parks That You Can't Reach by RV which is a really cool topic, kind of grouping together all these national parks that us RV owners cannot get to. So if you want to go to all 63 national parks like Shelly did, you're going to have to find a different way to get to, to these than with your RV. Um, so Shelly's going to talk about those 13 parks, but she also just finished her epic journey to all 63 national parks, which has been spread out over the course of many, many years. Uh, this summer, she finished that quest by going to Kobuk Valley and Gates of the Arctic in Alaska. So throughout this episode, we're also just going to sp- sprinkle in some conversation about like what it's like going to all these national parks. What are the challenges? What tips might she have? And I think I do want to have her back on again just to talk about uh, her tips and tricks and hacks for visiting all 63 national parks. But for today, our main topic is 13 national parks that you can't reach by RV. We're going to go to Hawaii. We're going to go to Alaska. We're going to go to Florida. We're going to be in Michigan, some other cool stops along the way. So we'll be back in a second to welcome Shelly back on the show. But before we do so, we have sponsored messages from our friends at Campco and our friends at Rad Power Bikes. Camco is one of our favorite companies in the outdoor recreation industry. For more than 50 years, they have remained a trusted North Carolina-based manufacturer specializing in innovative products for the RV, marine, outdoor living, and outdoor recreation markets. You may know them best by their American-made Rhino sewer hoses, Taste Pure water filters, EvoFlex drinking water hoses, and TST toilet chemicals. But their lineup of products doesn't end there. Camco continues to deliver products that bridge the gap between you and your next great adventure. From portable grills and campfires to ease lift hitches and power grip electrical adapters, they seem to be doing it all. 
There's a saying that if you own an RV, you are sure to own a Camco product or two. And it's true. We still use Camco products that we bought 12 years ago when we started RVing. This year, we are stocking up our new RV with go-to Camco products like their collapsible laundry basket and their life is better at the campsite dishes and mugs. Head to CampcoOutdoors.com to check out all of the cool stuff that Campco makes and get 10% off your entire order with our discount code RVATLAS10. With over 630,000 riders, 15 years of innovation, and a full range of e-bikes and accessories for every style of rider, Rad Power Bikes is the e-bike industry's undisputed leader. Rad Power Bikes is changing the way the world thinks about transportation, one e-bike at a time. Rad Power Bikes has options for all-terrain use, city and commuter use, cargo and family use, and they also have an electric folding bike called the Rad Expand 5 that is perfect for RV life and for van life. This fat tire utility bike offers a powerful ride, but it's a real space saver and can be stored in your truck or SUV or right inside your RV. Leave your tow vehicle or motorhome at the campground and head out on your next great adventure on an e-bike from Rad Power Bikes. No matter which Rad Power Bikes model you choose, you will be riding with a rad grin and spending more time having fun and less time looking for parking than you ever have. Head on over to radpowerbikes.com to find the perfect e-bike for your ride style and join the rad revolution today. Hello, Shelly Bailey Shaw, and welcome back to the RV Atlas. How are you doing, my friend? I'm great, Jeremy. Good to see you. There's some major stuff that's gone on in your life over these last few months. So we had you on the show back in June or early July talking about underrated national parks. But in the meantime, you have now completed a almost lifelong goal of visiting all of the national parks. I'm sort of in awe and, and amazed that you did it. How, how are you feeling about this accomplishment? Were you sort of like glowing at the end or were you just like taking a deep breath and just uh, <laughs> thankful that you pulled it off? Maybe a little of both, um, but I feel really blessed to have visited all the parks and you know, I continue to believe that they're the most spectacular places in the country. So I'm very fortunate and, and happy to have done it with my family. And there's other big news in your family, too. I hear there's, there's an engagement party recently, right? Yes. Um, and as of this, uh, this recording, we are two weeks away from my son's wedding. So we are in like full wedding mode here in Oregon. Well, and I knew I had to grab you for this episode. Like when we were, we were going back and forth talking about this and you were like, can you do this day or this day? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to take that first day because I don't want to lose the chance. So on this episode, you had suggested doing an episode about the national parks that you can't reach by RV, which is a, is a very cool topic to me. Um, so we're going to cover 13 national parks that you can't reach by RV, right? Because as uh, us RV owners, we can get to most of them, but we certainly can't get to all of them. So if you want to do, if our listeners want to do what you did and get to all these national parks, it's not that easy, is it? No, <laughs> it's not. Um, it requires a lot of coordination. And as you said, you know, these 13 in particular uh, take a little bit of extra effort, but I think that most of them are worth it. And it is, I mean, it's quite amazing that you can get to the vast majority by RV. And I would say that the vast majority are pretty darn RV friendly, but these 13 are not. So 
Let's dive in. You're going to kind of give us an overview of each one, maybe a couple of your highlights, favorite things that you did. Some of them you've been to recently. Uh, some of them were, were quite some time ago, I think, or maybe over a decade ago. Let's start in Hawaii. So what national parks do we have here that you certainly can't reach by your own RV if you own an RV on the mainland? Okay, maybe you can get a van or something like that, uh, like Lauren did. Uh, but t take us to Hawaii. Yeah, actually, this first one, I'm just going to mention it briefly because Lauren Eber from uh, A Fam with a Van did an excellent job of covering this uh, a couple episodes back in April. So I'm sure you'll you'll link to her um, her podcast here. But she talked about how you can rent a camper on the big island of Hawaii and visit Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. Um, or you can visit as a non-RVer by just renting a car and staying in a resort or an Airbnb-type property on the island. Um, my favorite memory from this park is actually visiting just before sunset. Um, as it starts to get dark, you can usually see lava actually rolling um, down the hill and into the sea in the distance. And it's just a really spectacular um, scene. And of, of course, conditions change, so you'll want to check in at the visitor's center uh, for your best viewing tips. But normally you can see some hot molten lava. Now, for you know, after Lauren did that great episode that you referenced, I really rethought um, my Hawaii dreams because I hadn't really been thinking Big Island of Hawaii. Um, as a lifelong surfer, I, I really want to go to Oahu, not because I want to surf at the pipeline or something like that, but I, I just really want to, that's the island I want to go to the most. But after her episode, I really, uh, I really put the Big Island on, on the radar for me. And do you think in general, the Big Island of Hawaii is, is really worth a visit? Absolutely. Um, and I have been to all five of the islands and I will say that Oahu is my least favorite. So um, yes, the big island should be on your list. Kauai should be on the list. Um, I, you know, if you get the opportunity, visit them all. But uh, I think the big island has a lot of um, diversity. Great. All right. Take us to Maui. And we know obviously there were very tragic fires there recently, but our next national park is on the island of Maui. And I struggle with Hawaiian pronunciation, so I'm going to do my very best job at this one. I think it's Haleakala National Park. The, I checked before we recorded tonight. I just, I just went online, and yes, Haleakala. I think, I think we both passed the test. Okay. All right. All right. So um, this is uh, again another national park with uh, its own volcano. It is near the center of the island, and is not near. Lahaina, where we saw those devastating fires in August. So if you want to plan a visit to Maui, um, you can without, um, you know, interfering with the recovery efforts there. Um, the most popular times of day to visit are uh, the summit, are sunrise and sunset. Um, but make sure, and, and I'm serious about this, have a winter jacket, hat, and gloves because it is cold and windy up there. Um, if, if you visit at night, you're going to be treated to these, you know, spectacular dark skies, some of the darkest skies in the world. But I actually recommend sunrise. And I'm always looking for like different ways to experience our national parks. So here we did a sunrise self-guided bike tour with um, a company called Bike Maui. And they, they, you get up in the middle of the night, you drive to the bike shop. They ferry you up to the top of the volcano. You experience the sunrise. 
And then they drive you down the volcano to this area of switchbacks. And from there, you you basically get on your bike and you ride down the side of the volcano in the morning. And I just think it's a, a much more active way to experience that park. I think uh, I, as I get older, more and more, I really appreciate those types of guided tours. Like when I was younger, I thought, oh, I don't need somebody to help me see a national park. Particularly if you're going into a national park and you only have a limited amount of time, I think that tapping into a guided tour like this one, you can experience a lot in a short amount of time. And you're sort of like uh, getting the expertise of somebody that knows the park super, super well, right? So they were probably great guides to, to visiting the park. Well, and where there's two two choices, you could do a guided tour, but this one was kind of actually a self-guided with some assistance. So because the challenge is, if you don't have someone take you up the volcano and you bike down, how do you get back up to get your car, right? Like, so you have to have somebody who's helping you with the logistics of um, doing something like this. And so that's why um, Bike Maui, I think, is a, a great option. All right, let's go back to the mainland here. We've got 13 parks to get through that we can't reach by RV. Let's talk Channel Islands National Park in the great state of California. Yeah, so the Channel Islands are off the coast of Ventura, California. Um, there are five islands, but for a day trip, I'd recommend Santa Cruz, um, mainly because it's the closest. So you can reach the island on a one-hour ferry ride, and it's the least expensive to reach. I also think it offers more variety in terms of activities and um, more services, though don't get me wrong, the services on this island are really limited. Um, there's some hiking on the island, some historical sites, but our favorite activity was sea kayaking through the kelp forest, which um, this national park is sort of known for. So you can use sea kayak and then you can dip into some of the sea caves that are along um, the island. And I wrote about this um, particular visit on Kid Tripster. So we can link to that article in the show notes and it kind of walks you, you know, step by step how you need to plan for this kind of trip. Absolutely. We will link to that in the show notes. And that's not the only Kid Tripster article that you've written about some of these places, too. So in each of these cases where you have a Kid Tripster article, I'll make sure that we link in the show notes so people can dive in into more detail. Now, is this one that you did in recent years? Is this one that you did quite a while ago? Did you just like go out there quickly and do the one island so you could cross it off your list? Or did you spend more, a more extensive amount of time there? You know, I researched the Channel Islands a lot before we decided on the itinerary. And the other islands are really difficult to get to. Um, some of them you can get to on a longer ferry ride, others you have to actually fly into. And for what was being, you know, offered on those islands, I felt like Santa Cruz was the best choice. Um, we did this one, I think probably about five or six years ago. Um, so my kids were, you know, in their, their teens, um, sea kayaking can be challenging. Um, you know, especially you want to, you want to make sure to do it in the morning. Uh, you do not do it in the afternoon or else you, you're going to find yourself out to sea. Um, and they warn you of that. You want to do it in, um, the, the morning hours, but, um, you know, it's a, a little bit of an effort. So, um, having kids who are older, I think worked out well. Is that because the winds pick up and it gets gets rougher? Is that why you want to do the mornings? Yes, the winds pick up and the current is really strong and you can end up being um, brought out um, quite quickly. 
All right, Shelly, the next one might cause a little controversy. And I always <laughs> welcome you to be as opinionated as you would like to be. I like the fact that you have a point of view about things. And you've earned a POV on our national parks, having been to all of them. Um, tell us about Isle Royale National Park in Michigan and your thoughts about that. Well, and this pains me because I'm a Michigander. I grew up in Michigan, so like I'm I'm dissing my own state here. So um, anyway, LRUL uh, is on Lake Superior in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Um, it to me too is a day tripper. Um, is this one worth it? Eh. I don't, I don't really think so. Um, but here again, you're taking a ferry either from Houghton, Michigan, or um, uh, Copper Mountain, Michigan, or uh, Grand Portage in Minnesota. You have a couple choices here. We left from Grand Portage, so it was about an hour and a half each way. Once you're on the island, it's mostly hiking. And I just found the landscapes here to be underwhelming. Maybe it's because I'm from Michigan and I'm used to what these landscapes look like. I don't know. but. If you were to stay longer, you could, um, you know, look into doing some paddling or some bike camping um, trips. Uh, I will say that I liked the nearby town of Grand Marais in Minnesota. Uh, we stayed there uh, in a city-run RV park that was right on Lake Superior. So um, we got to this place to take off by RV. It's just that on the island, obviously, we didn't have the RV. Um and I remember this town because um, it was really cute. And they had a, I had, we had a fabulous meal at this place called the Angry Trout Cafe. And it has been 10 years and I can still remember that restaurant. So that's really um, saying something. <laughs> so I think I liked the town more than I liked the national park. Have you been spoiled by the beautiful Pacific Northwest? Is this well, you know the answer part to of that the problem, yes. perhaps? <laughs> now, if anyone listening, found a fence there okay um my editor the editor of our where should we camp next books anna michaels who was on the podcast a couple weeks ago went over to isle royale national park and did the whole backpacking loop and stayed overnight she wants to come back and do a podcast on that so we will redeem this one for those <laughs> of you who may feel like it got shortchanged here but like i said i mean you know, you're entitled to a point of view. We can all love the ones we love, and we don't have, we don't have, certainly don't have to love all of them. Um, but a day trip, you would say? I, I would. And as an aside, you know, one of the reasons that we accessed the park um, on the Minnesota side was that we were on a cross country RV trip, and our next stop was Voyagers National Park. Gosh, I hate to say this, but not one of my favorite park experiences um, for a couple of reasons. One, we had really rainy weather, so you know how that can impact um, a trip. A uh, ton of mosquitoes. And while you can access this park by RV, I think it's actually a better experience if you have a boat and you can camp on one of the many islands. That's really how to do Voyagers National Park. It's not a park that you experience um, from the shore, you know, like you really need to do some island hopping, I think, to appreciate voyagers. I, I need you to say something nice about Michigan. So did you like Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lakeshore? Can you just throw something in there? Yes. I know that's not I one of the national Michigan. parks. I absolutely love Michigan. I love the lakes. I miss the water. Um, you know, living out here in Oregon, there's, there's not enough lakes I'm, that I'm used to. I love the Great Lakes. Um, and Traverse City, like I know that you've been to and, and have talked about one of my favorite areas. So um, 
yeah, it's just, it's that little island in Lake Superior that just didn't do it for me. I like, I like painted rocks though. And that's in the, that's along the Lake Superior coastline. I, Michigan's a beautiful state for camping. I mean, I, I've said that, I've said that a hundred times on the podcast and I really truly mean that. And that we had a wonderful, you know, RV trip to Michigan and we've been to Michigan many times. Stephanie went to college in Michigan, for goodness sake. All right, we're going to come back in a second. Shelly's going to take us to Florida. Uh, but before we do so, we have a sponsored message from our friends at Omnia Sweden. The Omnia is a portable stovetop oven that is lightweight, affordable, easy to use, and perfect for your next camping trip. Just pop it on your RV stove, your camp stove, or another heat source, and you will have an instant oven that can make all kinds of delicious food at the campground. If you can do it in a regular oven, heat, bake, or cook, you can do it in an Omnia. The Omnia requires no installation and works with a variety of heat sources to provide a convenient, versatile way to prepare your favorite foods like breads, pizzas, calzones, quiches, muffins, cinnamon rolls, brownies, cakes, and so much more. The Omnia stovetop oven is also the perfect gift for the campers on your list this holiday season. To learn more about the Omnia and to find great cooking tips and recipes, make sure you visit OmniaSweden.com. And to purchase your own Omnia stovetop oven and great accessories, head on over to BuyOmniaUS.com or Amazon.com. Give the gift of delicious food in the great outdoors this holiday season with Omnia. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are here with Shelly Bailey Shaw, and we are talking about 13 national parks that you cannot reach by RV. Um, Shelly recently finished uh, an amazing journey going to all of the national parks in our country, and I think I need to have her back for a whole other episode about that. We'll talk about that later. But let's continue on our voyage right now to national parks we can't reach by RV. So take us to Dry Tortugas National Park in Florida. What did you think of that one? Yeah, so I think a visit to Dry Tortugas is a really special experience. Um, it's located 70 miles from Key West. And while you could take a four and a half hour ferry ride, we decided to splurge on this one and took a 45 minute ride on a seaplane. Um, my kids were young when we visited here. So the whole experience of like landing on water was Really, really fun, really memorable. Um, here you have seven small islands, and the main island is home to Fort Jefferson. It's a 19th century fort used as a prison during the Civil War. You can tour the fort, then snorkel off the island. Um, you're likely to see sea turtles here. That's what these islands are named after. And you're really, if you're really adventurous, you can actually tent camp overnight on Dry Tortugas, and it truly would be like camping on a deserted island. And we'll link to an article that I wrote on Kid Tripster um, that goes into more details about this one. And ironically, I have been tent camping more, and I really want to continue to tent camp more. Something like this sounds absolutely wonderful to me. I would love to stay overnight here and do that. All right, let's move on to Virgin Islands National Park. Tell us about this one. Yeah, another national park that is a tropical paradise uh, is the Virgin Islands National Park on St. John in the U.S. Virgin Islands. I really like this national park. It was, you know, beautiful turquoise water, white sand beaches, great snorkeling with abundant sea life, including turtles, um, plus, you know, beachside bars and food trucks in the national park. I mean, where else are you going to get that kind of combination, right? Um, so you can stay on St. John, or if you decide, 
you could stay on St. Thomas and then simply take a car ferry over for a day trip. And the Kid Tripster article you did was six must-dos in the U.S. Virgin Islands for families with teens. So this could be a a family-friendly adventure as well. Absolutely. And uh, that particular article talks about experiences both on St. John and on uh, St. Thomas. Okay, the next one, again, we have a little bit of a point of view on the National Park of American Samoa. And I actually really love hearing this, and I don't think you're being too too negative at all, as we just talked about off air. Uh, I think that we want we want the truth from you, Shelley. What did you think of this one? Which I I would assume very very few people get to this one. Uh, this has got to be one of the least visited national parks. Yeah, and the reason I want to be truthful about these parks in particular, I'm always truthful. But the one the reason I think it's really important is. It takes a pretty penny to get to some of these parks. And if it's not worth it, I want you to know that. Um, So I had high expectations for this national park. But ultimately, unless you're determined to visit all 63, I would take this one off your list. First of all, it is a haul to get here. It's an incredibly expensive flight. Um, America Samoa is a U.S. territory located in the South Pacific, about halfway between Hawaii and New Zealand. So to get there, you need to fly to Honolulu and then take a six-hour flight to America Samoa. It's a place that just doesn't seem ready for visitors. You know, um, restaurants are not plentiful. The hotels are definitely subpar. And you could put all that aside if the national park were spectacular. But again, I found it to be a little bit under underwhelming. Um, while it is on an island, there's really no beach access in the park. On that side of the island, the park is mostly on cliffs. And so it's really a hiking park. And either the hikes are really short and easy or they're really challenging, mostly because of dramatic elevation gains in combination with just a tremendously oppressive humidity, um, which, you know, don't underestimate that. Um, So really, the park can be seen in a day. And while we did do some snorkeling in other parts of the island, we ultimately cut our trip here short and did not stay the entire week like we had planned and um, flew home early, something that I don't think I've ever done um, in all my travels. Was part of that, like the humidity, was that part of like why, like, let's get out of here? Or was it just the overall experience? Like you just felt like, let's, let's, let's go home. You know, the resort, I'm using that term pretty loosely. Um, you know, we were allegedly staying at the best hotel on the island. Um, I would probably equate it to kind of a two-star experience. Um, and we just ended up being able to spend three days and not only see the park, but pretty much every corner of the island. Um, and the reason you kind of have to choose, either you're going to be there for three days or you're going to be there for a week because there are not daily flights in and out of America, Samoa. So it, it's a little bit complicated, right? So you, you have to make the decision. And, you know, on paper, I thought, my goodness, why would we fly all the way to America Samoa and only spend, you know, three, three and a half days? Um, so that's why we booked a week. But then once we got there, we're like, nope, I think, I think we're good. Um, and we're, we just didn't spend the extra money on uh, staying at a, a hotel that wasn't spectacular and, and flew home early. So 
Well, great tip for somebody who's trying to accomplish all the parks, though, is like, get in and get out, like take the three and a half day option. Did you spend time in Hawaii on the way there or on the way home? Or was this like a dedicated trip to knock this one off the list? It actually was a dedicated trip. um, And we went during the holidays. And so um, for a lot of reasons, we did not spend extra time in Hawaii. Um, I also live on the West Coast. So flying to Hawaii is a lot easier for me than it is, you know, for you in New Jersey, for example. Um, But if you were going to do this, you certainly could um, stop in Hawaii, spend some time in Hawaii and then go on. But like I said, it's a it's a pricey decision. And I mean, file this under maybe dumb questions. Is it humid there all the time? Is there like maybe a better time of year to go or it's it's pretty much always going to be hot? No, because of its location, um, you know, latitude wise, it, it, it's always pretty humid. Now you're making me, me think some deep thoughts here because I, I go back and forth on whether I would like to do what you did, right? Um, you know, if I would like to go to be able to say, I went to all of the national parks, like for, I mean, for instance, I really do want to go to all 50 states. I mean, that is absolutely something I want to do in my life. And hearing something like this does give me pause a little bit. Um, and, and some of the things we're going to talk about in Alaska, it's not, not for the faint of heart uh, and not necessarily for everyone to go to all of the national parks. And now I'm not downplaying what, what you accomplished or how amazing mm. it is, but I, I think that like this is something you want to be thoughtful about if you're going to set out on a journey to do this, right? Yeah. And you know, it, it's such a, a dichotomy, right? Because national parks are typically some of the most affordable family vacations that you can take. And especially if you own an RV, I mean, this is a fantastic way to see the country um, in an affordable way. These places that I'm talking about, and especially when we get down to these um, last couple in Alaska, this this is this is costly. This is very pricey. Um so if you're thinking like, I want to take the whole family, uh, do, do some research so that you know beforehand, before you commit to the school, just exactly what you're signing up for. I actually love that you're sharing this information um, because somebody might really have that dream in mind and, and then, you know, maybe they reconsider it. Or maybe somebody says, okay, look, I'm, I'm going for it. I know what I'm getting into. And I always want people to have the information at hand, you know, before before making these kind of like travel decisions, these big bucket list life travel decisions. Um, we're going to come back in a second. We're going to go to Alaska. And there were some amazing highlights there for you in terms of visiting all of the national parks. And is it fair to say there were also some some lowlights and some really challenging situations? As amazing as that sounds, the answer is yes. (laughs) All right. So we're going to come back in a second, and we're going to continue on with this list of 13 national parks that you cannot reach by RV. We're going to go to Alaska. Uh, But before we do so, we have a sponsored message from our friends at Yogi Bear's Jellystone Park Camp Resorts. Our family has been staying at Jellystone Park locations for 12 years. There are more than 75 Jellystone Park locations across the United States and Canada, and each one is unique, but our kids love them all because each Jellystone Park location has fun attractions like pools, water slides, splash grounds, mini golf, laser tag, and jumping pillows. Plus, there are tons of activities all day and all night long, such as foam parties, dance parties, wagon rides, 
rides, tie-dye, and movie nights. They even have themed weekends like Chocolate Lovers Weekend, Christmas in July, and Halloween weekends in the fall. Of course, we can't forget the fun of hanging out with Yogi Bear, Boo Boo, and Cindy Bear. And at Jellystone Park, you can stay in your RV or enjoy one of their awesome glamping accommodations as many of their locations offer luxury cabins, yurts, covered wagons, and more. Make Jellystone Park a part of your family's vacation in 2023 because it's not just a campground. It's a Jellystone Park. To learn more and to book your vacation today, visit JellystonePark.com. That's JellystonePark.com. And please, don't forget to tell Yogi Bear that Jeremy and Stephanie said hello. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are here with Shelly Bailey Shaw talking about 13 national parks that you can't reach by RV, but we're also like sprinkling in some different stuff about her incredible journey to all of the national parks in, in our country, which she very recently completed that, that journey. So take us to Alaska. Where do you want to start in terms of uh, national parks in Alaska that you can't reach by RV? So this first one, technically speaking, you could drive an RV to Wrangell St. Elias National Park. But the reason we're including it in this list is that you and I talked in a previous episode about Wrangell St. Elias. I raved about it. it. It remains one of my top three favorite national parks. And to get to the section of the park that I suggested, you can't get there via RV. So that's why it's in our list. Because um, if you look at a map, you'll be like, well, of course I could drive here. Um, but that's that's the reason. So this is a jaw-droppingly beautiful national park. And the ice climbing and ice caving activities that we did um, while there were really memorable. So I'd encourage folks to go back and listen to us talk about that particular park in detail. I absolutely love Wrangell St. Elias. And there's a nice Kid Tripster article as well if you want you know, even more detail, which we will link to in the show notes at thervatlas.com. So take us to Glacier Bay, Alaska. Tell us a little bit about this one. Yeah, so the Park Visitor Center can only be reached by water or plane. Um, probably 99% of people who see this park are on a cruise. Um, and while there are a lot of large cruise companies that include Glacier Bay in their Alaskan itineraries, I much prefer the smaller ship cruise lines um, like UnCruise or Alaskan Dream. And I've written a lot about these two companies on Kid Tripster. Um, I'm, I much prefer them, and I think you're going to have a better experience. Stephanie, I, I don't want to necessarily speak for what's at the very top of her bucket list, but an Alaska cruise is top five for her, for sure. And to be brutally honest with our RV Atlas audience, like driving to Alaska in an RV for Stephanie is, is not at the top, top of her list. Uh, an Alaska cruise certainly, certainly is. Um, and I would so say that the reason why you want to like consider a small um, ship operator, when I say small ship, these are um, ships that depending on, on which line you go with, there might be like anywhere from like 30 to a hundred people on the boat as a pair as compared to, you know, thousands. And the reason I like these is because you can get into the, the small nooks and crannies, right? Like you can get places where those big cruise liners can't. So you can go up, you know, Tracy's arm and into these fjords and get a lot further and um, I think have even more spectacular scenery. 
All right, the next two you kind of group together, uh, and you call them the bear parks, or they're kind of, I guess, known as the bear parks. So which two are next in Alaska? Yes, these are the brown bear parks. Um, and I recommend basing yourself out of Homer in order to um, visit these because that's where the most bush plane tours originate. So Katmai is home to Brooks Camp. That's that quintessential waterfall where the bears are, you know, snatching the salmon and throwing them in their mouth. And you've likely seen photos and videos of it. Um, and, you know, it, it it is exactly that. It's for real. Um, the greatest number of bears, uh, you'll typically want to visit in July if you want to see the greatest number. Um, Lake Clark is a less visited national park. And here you're seeing bears out in the open meadows and, and salt marshes. Um, we saw, you know, mother bears nursing cubs in the wild. We saw cubs wrestling with each other. Um, it was a really a special place. Um, I like Lake Clark over Katmai only because um, you don't have the, the crowds of people. Um, but here's the critical part. You'll want to plan at least three full days in Homer and book your bush uh, flight in advance on day one. Why do I say this? Because flights on these small planes are entirely dependent on good weather. And so if you get socked in with fog or high winds, which is actually really common, your flight will be grounded. Also, the landing conditions can impact the itinerary. So it could literally take days to get out on one of these flights. So ultimately, the tour provider is going to determine the best location for bear watching on any given day. So you, you have to remain flexible. You might have it in your mind that you want to go to Katmai, but it might be that you, we can't land in Katmai because of the tide um, on a particular day, and you're going to be diverted to Lake Clark. Either way, you'll see bears. Mother Nature doesn't always care what you have in mind, I guess, That's right? right. <laughs> Mother Nature does not necessarily care that Shelley wants to get to all of the national parks. I know. Uh, and I, I think, know. In the, I mean, Alaska is just one of those ch challenging places for sure. Um, and your, your next two, our, our last two national parks, are, are quite challenging. Both of them are, right? They are. Um, and I don't think the word remote even begins to describe the location of these last two parks. Um, getting there is a challenge. It involves flying to Anchorage or Fairbanks and then on to Kotzebue inside the Arctic Circle. And from there, you fly on a bush plane um, because there are no roads into the, these parks. No roads, no trails, no cell service, none of that. So um, the parks we're talking about are Kobuk Valley and gates of the Arctic. So you basically have three choices here. First, you could do a sightseeing flight where you land in each of the parks for about 15 minutes, you snap your pictures, and then you get back on the plane and you fly out. So here you're seeing these parks mostly from the air. Your second choice is you could get dropped into one of these parks to camp on your own and have to be responsible for all your gear. Um, which isn't terribly practical if you don't live in Alaska. So I don't really know that option two is even, you know, truly viable. Um, the third option is you could hire an outfitter that provides a guide and all the camp gear and then go camp in the parks. So that's what we did. 
We tent camped two nights in Kobuk Valley, which is basically an enormous sand dune field, and two nights in Gates of the Arctic alongside a glacial river. And if we had to do it all over again, we probably wouldn't do this it, this way, which is why I think it's really important people for people to know this. Um, first, it's insanely expensive. I blame COVID, as many people blame COVID for many of things. I blame COVID because I booked this trip back in 2020 when we were all feeling a little bit restless and we were, you know, willing to do just about anything um, to get out of Dodge. Um, but honestly. I don't think it's worth the money. Um, and actually, while on the trip, my husband and I kept having that conversation, like, why was this so expensive? And we couldn't we couldn't figure it out. Again, embarrassingly expensive, but, so much that we are I you made me I made you promise that you wouldn't have me admit on this podcast. But, how and, much and, this and you don't cost. need to, but 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 I think that you know you had this grand life goal in mind. So I don't think there's anything embarrassing about it. But you said if you could do it all over again, you wouldn't do it this way. Like, what way would you do it, though? I mean, well, you would hold that thought because I also okay. want to. The expense is one thing, right? The other thing, when it has to do with Kobuk Valley, the window to see these va these parks, both of them, is very short. So you're basically going in mid to late July. You know who else shows up in mid to late July at Kobuk Valley? Like. A million mosquitoes. I, when I say we were under siege by mosquitoes, I am not kidding you. We have never experienced anything like this ever. And nearly the entire time that we were on the ground in Kobuk Valley, we were like head to toe in cover, including mosquito nets on our heads. And gotta tell you, it's like, it was miserable. My kids were like miserable. So we were paying a lot of money to be, to be miserable. Uh, uh, okay, yeah, I get it. Yes, uh, uh, but there has to be some trials and tribulations on every epic journey, and uh, in the grand scheme of your life and of going to all of these national parks, it is sort of this like epic journey to me, almost like this hero quest. And I, I mean, stuff's going to be uncomfortable. Stuff's yeah, stuff's going to go oh, yeah. wrong. I mean, I, I mean, out of Look, so American Samoa was a challenge. You left early. This was a real challenge. But there wasn't that many other, you know, experiences like this that were horrible no. and negative. And you'd, and you'd say, don't go to this park. Don't go to that park. I mean, out of, and it's 63 national parks right now. I should know that, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, I mean, out of the 63, you've got some pretty, you know, negative experiences in just three of them. Do I have that right? Yeah, basically. and 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 even. So what I want you to know here is that, yes, it's expensive. Yes, we were under siege by mosquitoes. Did we still have an experience? Did we still hike? Did we still do all the things? We did. And thankfully, uh, the mosquito situation improved drastically when we got to Gates. Um, you know, but here's another thing that we kind of learned about ourselves, right? And travel is all about learning. Um, and we learned that we actually are not backcountry campers. On the surface, bushwhacking may sound kind of romantic, um, but in reality, for our family, not so much. There's something to be said for having a trail system and hiking a route where you know it's going to be worth your time and you're going to, you're, you're going somewhere, right? With bushwhacking, there are like no guarantees. Um, and don't get me wrong, the scenery was beautiful, 
But after two days, our family was ready to go back. So, you know, bottom line, if you were going to go here and complete the quest, I think that you should do the sightseeing flight. I think you should do option number one. If you're not on the quest, I wouldn't go to these two parks. I think that there are other parts of Alaska that are just as beautiful and more accessible. I feel like, and I kind of asked this at the beginning, I feel like you must have like this sense of incredible relief too, to be like, okay, I can go back to Yellowstone now or, or whichever, you know, whatever is your, you know, the top of your list to go back to like, okay, I can go back to Glacier or, okay, I can go sit on a resort on the beach somewhere. There has to be like a sense of, of, of travel relief here. I mean, there is and there isn't. I, I love national parks. I love um, the planning of, of the trips. And despite, you know, there being a couple that weren't our favorite, there were dozens and dozens and dozens that, that were our favorite. And um, after I got done with uh, the, these last parks, I went back and I grabbed a photo from every single park that my family had been to. So 63 photos. And I made these like, you know, short little uh, one minute um, compilations, three little compilations of all these videos and and of all these um, pictures of all these parks, I should say, and, you know, threw it up on Instagram so that I, I had them all in one place. And I have to say, it was like this really emotional experience to like, go back through, you know, we went to our first park and I think well, with my kids in 2007, I went to my first park when I was a high schooler. But, um, you know, I have literally watched my kids grow up in these national parks. Um, and so it was just it was a really um, satisfying um, thing to, to, to see. And, and I'm just so glad that we've shared these experiences, the good and the bad. Um, I'm so glad I've shared them with my my family. So. I have nothing rem- but gratitude. And and remind me where are all of where are they at with their national park list? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but you're the only one in the family that's been to all 63, I think. Yeah, and the reason is that on some trips I might have just had one kid with me um and a like a, you know, two or three I did before I was even married. So, um my husband is short 3 or 4. Um, my youngest is short seven or eight and my oldest is short, I think around maybe 14 ish, um, parks, but man, they're in their twenties. They've got time. Well, and your husband now has knocked out a lot of these really hard ones though, right? Like he, he's like, he doesn't need to go to America. Samoa. <laughs> you know, no, he has he really easy to... ones left. So, well, so what's yeah, like left pinnacles, for him if you don't mind like, me asking? You know, okay. You know, like Pinnacles, we, you know, is in Northern California. We live in Oregon. Like if he wants to go to Pinnacles, we can do Pinnacles. Well, you know? Does he, I mean, I like, I'm sorry. I don't mean to pry, but like, does he care? Is he like, I got to do my, the three or is he just like, whatever? I mean, okay, I, I'm just curious. So I'm totally going to out my husband here. Um, So he's, he's, he's good. He's fine. He doesn't have to like complete the whole list. And um, now of course we need a new challenge, right? Like life short. So let's, what are we going to do next? So, um, I said to him what it is, what is it that you, you know, want to do now? 
And we are now starting the quest to visit the top 25 golf courses in the United States and the top 10 in the world, because that, Jeremy, is my husband's passion. And does he feel like you owe him? Is there a, a little, little bit, bit. <laughs> a little bit of like, you, you owe me here? After well, COVID Valley, him. maybe even a little bit more. <laughs> oh my God, he's hacking through the back country, getting attacked by mosquitoes, thinking about the golf courses he's going to go to. I, I, yeah. this, look, marriage is transactional. I am, you it, know, it, 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 it is it, a it partnership, is. it's give and take. And so, um, yes, I've already started to plan a couple trips. And while he's golfing, then I go off and, you know, go on a hike and do the things that, you know, well, I'm, I really I'm sure enjoy. they're in great places, right? Yeah, I'm sure these no, golf courses are like places. in amazing places. So I have to ask you, maybe I asked you on the, when you were on the podcast back in June, like for me, many of my favorite national park trips have been return trips. Like my second trip to Acadia was way better than my first trip to Acadia. Like, are there, are there places calling out to you for that return trip where you really, really want to get back? There are a couple. And I think I might have mentioned, you know, before, I'm like toying with the idea that when I have grandkids that I might, you know, start it up again. Like, I, I can imagine, you know, my husband and I are currently talking about maybe giving like a sprinter type um, a van so that we could, you know take grandkids to some of these parks. And we were very fortunate to live where we do. So um, a lot of the, the West, Western national parks um, are, are easier for us to get to than if you lived on the East Coast. So, um, you know, Olympia, uh, I'd like to get back to. Um, Glacier, I would do again. Um, you know, Zion, I would do again. Um, those are, you know, some of my favorites. Thank you so much for this wonderful episode and the other episode that we did earlier this year. I, I'm already plotting this other episode now. And I, I kind of like, I feel like there's a book in this, um, for you. Are you going to write and that I, one for me, Jeremy? Cause I, no, I've heard I, how hard it is to write a book. <laughs> no, no, I, uh, no, it is. It's funny you say that. Cause I've been thinking about that a lot these last few weeks. Like, oh my gosh, books are so hard to write. Cause I, you know, our publisher wants like, oh, let's do this, let's do this. And it's like, oh, it's so hard. Um, but I, I would love to have you have you back and like do, I mean, there, I'd love to have you back for a hundred episodes, but I, I think, I feel like if you sat down and pondered it, you could come up with like 10, 12, 16 tips for somebody who really wants to visit all the national parks, you know, like, like the, here's what you need to know, right? Or here's how you should do it. Or, or here's how to map it out successfully. Because, um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of hard-won wisdom in, in doing this. And I mean, I, a lot of people probably don't get to all 63, but so many people want to. There's a lot of people that, that dream about it. And so I think that to have that person who's done it saying, hey, American Samoa is going to be a little tough, you know, like uh, three and a half days, not seven. Okay. That's an <laughs> awesome, that's a really great tip actually for somebody. Um, so anyway, think about whether you would, you know, want to come back at some point and maybe lay out your tips that you would give to somebody who's kind of more at the beginning of that journey. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm always willing to, to talk about this topic. I love this topic. And you know, for those people who are listening and hearing that, well, maybe, you know, a couple of those parks are not all they're cracked up to be. Maybe that gives you license. Like, 
you don't feel so badly about not going to be, if you're not going to go to all 63, you know? So like go to the ones you can, like do as many as you possibly can. Um, cause it's certainly better to do some than none. And knock out, like create your list of joy and knock the, knock them out. Like the ones you want to go to. I mean, yeah, you could get strategic, right? Oh, let me go here. Let me go here. Let me go here. But the challenging ones like, okay, wait till you get close to decide if you want to go to American Samoa. Okay. Everybody like knock out 50 parks and then have, have a deep think about whether you want to actually do that. And that, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, it seems kind of like that's what you did, right? Like you went to all the parks that you really, really wanted to go to. And then there was these tough ones were kind of reserved for, for the end to some degree. Yeah. And plus we were waiting for our kids, um, to get older right? Like uh, Cobic Valley and um, Gates of the Arctic wouldn't necessarily be a great destination for a young family. Um, you know, my, my kids needed to be a little more self-sufficient for us to go on that trip. I, I'm thinking they are both very good sports about yes, these types they, of Yes, they have crazy... their moments um, of their, you know, complaining, but um, we, we always look back and, you know, laugh at some of these experiences that we've had. And, you know, the mosquitoes in Kobuk Valley is a little fresh, so they might not be laughing about that one quite yet, but, you know, give it a year. <laughs> well, congratulations on the upcoming wedding. Um, when the dust settles, I uh, certainly would love to have you back when you're available again. And a lot of this was drawn from your Kid Tripster articles. So um, tell us where we can find Kid Tripster online and, and follow Kid Tripster on social media. Yep, it's um, kidtripster.com and then at Kid Tripster on Instagram and Facebook. Shelly, congratulations. It's, it's quite, Thank it's you. an accomplishment. I really, I, I'm really torn about whether it's something I want to go after. Um, but I, congratulations to you. I think it's amazing. Great. Thanks so much, Jeremy. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the RV Atlas. To find out more about the topics discussed on this show, head on over to the RVAtlas.com. And to join the friendliest group of RVers, head on over to the RV Atlas group on Facebook and make sure to join us on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at the RV Atlas. If you enjoy our show, please consider leaving us a review over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And we will see you at the campground. See you at the campground. <laughs>